You're listening to Real People of Orange County, and I'm your host, Kimberly Martin. This show is a fun and informative look inside the lives of Orange County's best and brightest. These are people who serve their community in a meaningful capacity on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Well, today's guest is Christina Hildebrand. Christina is the founder and president of A Voice for Choice, Inc. and A Voice for Choice Advocacy. She is also in her day job, a market researcher with a degree in statistics and modeling, and she owns a market research firm called Consumer Evaluations and Insights, as well as a food company called Real Food Bay Area. Real Food Bay Area, if you might remember, we did a lot with the Weston A. Price Foundation for the lead up to their convention last year. I found that organization interesting because they advocated consuming fat. And as time goes on, you hear a little bit more and more about that. So interesting connection with Christina. Her food company is based on those principles. And through her work with A Voice for Choice, she is going to bring us an interesting discussion today about some legislation that was passed yesterday called the 21st Century Cures Act. Over the past 10 years, she has conducted over 10,000 hours of research on vaccinations, including consulting and leading many vaccine researchers in the quest to understand the reality rather than the hype of vaccines. Now, we're going to discuss the bill that was passed yesterday and to see what implications that has for us. But also, we're going to dip a little bit into the discussion of SB 277, which was the uh, legislation that was passed, the vaccine mandate bill, the Child Care and Employee Vaccine Mandate Bill. So we're going to hear an update on that as well. So listen in and thank you for being a part of our discussion. Okay, well, so Christina Hildebrand, welcome to Real People OC. I'm so glad to get a timely update from you on what was just passed. Let's have a discussion about this. Sure, that would be great. Um, so the, the piece of legislation that I believe you're referring to is the 21st Century Cures Act, and there's probably also two other pieces of legislation that we should get to later that have just come up. One of them has just come up and one of them has other updates on it. Um, but the 21st Century Cures Act was passed through Congress last week. It was passed through the Senate this week. And it is a bill that now, as I said, passed through both houses. It's on the president's desk. And it is a bill that sounds on the surface like a great bill. It basically is supposed to put money and funding towards curing a plethora of different diseases and disorders and on the surface does that, but when you actually read the thousand pages that it is, there are several issues that are big issues and should have raised more eyebrows than it did in in the Congress and in the Senate. I should give the background that HR6, which is what it originated at, was passed through the Congress in 2015 and then it stalled in the Senate. Yeah, and it let's went go back. That would be great. To sleep. <laughs> it went sort of to sleep on our end a year and a half, but during that time, 1,400, so 1,400 lobbyists got involved, about 525 or more million dollars was involved, and basically, the in, in our opinion, the government got bought during that time, and so it passed, it was brought up in the lame duck session, it was, it used to be, now called H.R. 34, um, it used to be, that H.R. 34 was a bill that was put forward on tsunami warning education and research was completely gutted and then this hr6 what used to be hr6 but all of it across the board was called the 21st century cures act was put in its place and so it came up in front of congress on monday of last week they discussed it they voted on it on wednesday and then this week it went through the senate got discussed monday tuesday and got voted on it um, completely basically unanimously in the senate there were 
five votes against it. And in the Congress, there were, I think, 26 votes. Yeah, 26 votes against it. So very few people saying no. Um, the people saying no recognized that it was a pharmaceutical bill, that it was just the pharmaceutical industry had gotten so far into it and um, that it wasn't a bill for the people. It was a bill for pharmaceutical fast tracking and, and pharmaceutical money and the lobbying that was involved with uh, showed that. So was that a bit of a dirty tricks issue? I mean, it was originally about tsunami warnings, and then now it's about something else. Let's talk about that process. Well, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a trick that's used a lot in all state and, and federal legislatures. So it's, it's, it's a trick, yes. Is, is it abnormal? Is it illegal or anything like that? No. It's basically you can put a bill forward with something else if you realize that bill's not going there, or it may just be a placeholder bill. Uh, at any point, you can take it, completely gut it, and then put in new language. Um, so it, it's interesting, actually, here in California, some a legislature, I don't actually know if they put it forward last year or if they were just talking about putting it forward, but basically they wanted to put something forward that it it limited the amount you could gut and, gut and amend a bill, and that would allow you only to do it in the first month, I think. Because what happens is once you get to, you know, take this federal bill, you get to the end of a session. So if it's going to be passed, it needs to be passed in the next few weeks um, and signed before January 20th. And so, and you've got the holidays in there as well. So, you know, anything that's gotten and amended in this last month doesn't get a lot of discussion. Now, they've been talking about it over the last two years, but it doesn't allow the grassroots and the, you know, the people, that the constituents, to have an opinion on it and give their opinion on it. So we were rushing to, you know, get thousands of people, and we did get thousands of people to call the senators and the, and the Congress. But at that point, it's too little, too late, almost. I mean, it, you know, they've, they've had their money paid. They've horse-traded whatever they needed to horse-trade for a yes vote. They also, the other piece of it that, that is really interesting in watching the discussion of this bill on both, both floors was that every legislature had their pet project in it. So be it Alzheimer's, be it cancer, be it regenerative medicine, be it, um, trying to think what other, what other pieces came up. But, you know, all of, each person had their thing. And it was obvious that, you know, my guess is the, if, I were, if I were the lobbyist on this, I would go in with a list of 10 different things and say, okay, which one of these is your thing? Oh, you like Alzheimer's. Okay, we're going we're gonna to cure Alzheimer's with this bill. It's going to have funding for Alzheimer's. That's your thing. And so they, they latch onto that one thing and they don't look at the rest of the bill. Um, and that, you know, that makes it, 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 it's the reason why there was a unanimous yes vote vote on this, which they obviously couldn't get two years ago because it stalled in the Senate. So they made it look sexy and attractive, and, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to co-opt a lot of other individuals and a lot, of, a lot of other really important emotional hot buttons to bring people into the fold to support it. And, yeah, exactly. And it was interesting. I mean, most, m- many of the senators and congressmen and women um, recognized that there were issues with the bill. And, you know, from our perspective, those issues are too great to have voted yes on the bill. The money obviously made it an easy yes vote for many of them. But, but you know, in our opinion, the issues that there are in this bill are just too big to vote yes on the bill. Um, and I can go into some of those. We, I don't have, you know, I, I don't have all of them. I have the ones that were sort of of, of greatest importance to us and our organization. So our organization is the Voice for Choice, and we 
educate and advocate for informed choice and transparency of anything that goes into your body so be it air food water pharmaceuticals vaccines um we want you to know what's in those and and for you to have the choice of what what goes in them and that was one of the greatest issues with this bill that we had was it takes away informed consent so it takes away informed consent in clinical trials and the wording specifically says if there's for medical devices or drugs the patients receiving treatment um, from their medical doctor may be given a medical device or drug without their knowledge that it that they're enrolled in a clinical trial as long as there is minimal risk to the patient and the practitioner and as long as there are safeguards and that's a very key piece of wording so basically what that says so right now clinical trials are done you opt into a clinical trial you're told that it's an you know it's an experimental drug the clinical trials are the time when that safety testing is done on humans so is it safe is it effective what are and it creates the safety profile that goes into the package inserts for example so but right now you opt into it that's part of the nuremberg code it's part of what came out of the second world war and the nazi concentration camps the reason for the nuremberg code was that they were not given informed consent and they were not given the option so that's what we base our clinical trials on right now in the u.s this law right you know away. what's happening you choose to be a part of this you in exactly. many cases and beg to be a part yeah. of it if you have exactly. no choice it, it, well and exactly because you know when you've got some disease that 50 people have and there's a there's a pharmaceutical company that's created a drug that could cure you or could help you live longer you make that calculated choice and you assess the risk and you choose whether you go on to that drug or you may feel that the risk is too high and that you prefer to take you know a different course of action so right now once this if this gets signed into law which it most likely will um if this gets signed into law your doctor if if there is minimal risk to you and there are safeguards in place neither of those two things are defined in anywhere in this bill or anywhere else the doctor can you put you into a clinical trial without you knowing without getting your consent for it and that means that what would be the wisdom behind that why would we want to do that to individuals because it means you have a larger population on a clinical trial so one of the thing with clinical trials is often there are just small populations because the opt-in rates are low and this way you get you can get thousands of people on clinical trials that wouldn't normally be on clinical trials so lab free lab rats (laughs) basically free lab rats yes and the other thing that you have to be concerned with is we know the pharmaceutical industry influences physicians so they're not allowed to give physicians directly money but they can give their practice money they can give incentives they can give you know it's not legal to give them a payout but there's that nice trip to hawaii or that you know nice lunch every day in your office for a week you know there's for for weeks there's there's other ways that they get around it and we know they do that we know that the sales reps for uh, for pharmaceutical drugs are in those offices day in and day out and so and and so you know the concern is that these reps are going to be in there spinning clinical clinical trials and the doctors are going to be putting patients on and are they really getting are they really considering that minimal risk are they really considering what the safeguards are because you're not going to have a safety profile on these drugs you know you're not going to have oh i can look at the package insert and it says you know there's a 25 percent chance of this happening there's a two percent chance of this happening there's you know one in a million chance of this happening um you don't have that on a clinical trial because that's what clinical trials are for. 
is um, to develop other, those statistics, right? Exactly, exactly. So it, that that's one concern, one of many concerning pieces. Um, the other, there are a few others. One of the one of them is that it takes away the HIPAA privacy law, which is basically a law that states that your doctor has to keep your medical records private unless you. Um, unless you say that the whatever party or whoever it is can have those records. So you have to sign a piece of paper saying, yes, I'm willing to share my records with a different hospital or with a different doctor, or I want my pers- you know, I want my medical records, I can get access to my medical records. Um, the, this this uh, 21st Century Cures Act basically allows the government to access your medical records without your authorization. So it takes away that privacy law for the government. Wow. And therefore the government can access any piece of information on your or anyone else's medical history here in the US. So because which, you unknowingly participate in a clinical trial that gives them carte no, blanche. No, 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 no. This has nothing to do with clinical trials. This is everyone. Yeah. This is anyone and everyone. If you go to the doctor and you have a medical record, the government can access that medical record regardless of, you know, this, has, this is a completely different issue from the clinical trials. Oh, my. Your, the government can access your medical records if they're on file with your doctor. Anyone, any individual in the population of the U.S. right now, your medical records will be open to the government. Now, what was the reason for them wanting that? Um, I don't actually know the reason behind it. My guess is so that they have information on disease and cor- they can do statistical research, basically, on it. But it's, you know, it's... It, which, in the and again, when you look at the bigger picture of this, and you look at it on a on a very granular on a very non granular level, a very overview level, that sounds great. Great, we're going to have more information so that we can drive better research, better cures, better information. You know, we 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 can work out where if there are pockets of disease somewhere that you know are we can put treatments and work out you know research and all of that stuff sounds wonderful but when it comes to the individual level when it comes to you and me and everyone else on the individual level i don't really want the government having my medical history um not that i have anything necessarily to hide but i'd like to know that you're accessing it i would like to know what i'm giving you know what what i'm sharing i you know i don't need you to know everything about me um and the issue there becomes you know do you get once and when it says government that's any government agency that's the police that pulls you over for, you know, doing for whatever reason to the CDC, to the, you know, it's, it's anyone in the government now would have access to that. So, you know, do they start putting um, putting limitations? I mean, one, one question would be, do you have history, do you have access to my vaccine records? So, you know, when you pull me over... Are you gonna Are you gonna have access and say, "Oh, you're not up to date on your vaccinations. We're gonna give you a fine for that, or we're gonna give you, you know, <laughs> is is there? We don't know what they can do. It, with it, it. sounds absurd, there's but it does. Huge, it does beg the question, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's a huge amount they could do with it, and I think that's the big piece of this. Is it's not so much what you are saying you're gonna do with it. You've just passed a law that basically allows a huge amount of stuff to happen that is now. In other people's control. Um, another one that, that there's quite a bit um, of of uh, information that that we we another organization that we work, which is called Educate Advocate. Um, they're a um, a organization that um, 
sort of educates and advocates for uh, disability disabilities and special needs, um, and they are they're you know big in that that community and the autism community and ADHD and all of the all of the special needs and disability communities, and they basically um, looked at the the law and looked at it from a disability perspective, and the the um, the pieces in there also from a disability perspective are just scary um one of them which we also you know we also took issue with just because it's big brother and there's just lack of transparency um is the fact that the the 21st century cures act sets up a big brother system for in-home health services now in-home health services the majority or much of the time for disabled and special needs children are the parents so the you know take that into context Sometimes it's outside, you know, OT, PT, all of those different things. But a lot of in-home services are, are provided by the parents. So this system basically puts in a virtual um, verification system where you have to literally uh, sort of check in and check out every time you do something with your child as a home service. And it, I mean, it seems just ridiculous that, that you would have to do that as a parent. But you will, if, you know, with this being passed, there is that sort of big brother verification system. And again, you look at it from the bigger picture and it's we want to make sure that these kids are getting the services that they need, that they're getting what they need. You know, we want to put checkpoints in place, but it's just overkill and it's just it's intrusive to the point that, you know, it is not necessary. So what do you make of the trend towards this kind of long arm of the government reaching into our homes in this way? It's scary. I mean, honestly, that's what, what it comes down to. I do, you know, the government at this point has so much reach into our homes and so much reach, especially into our children's lives, um, but also into our adult lives. Like, it's just, you know, to me, I'm not a big government person. So, you know, it, people in... It can can argue for or against that, um, but I just even even if you are a big government person, there's a limit. There's a place you draw the line. There's a place where, you know, the 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 good that will come out of this bill. There is so much really concerning on an individual level, concerning issues that it should not have been passed. I mean, just the three that I talked about, and I'll go into a few more, but just the fact that there's no informed consent for clinical trials anymore, if there's minimal risk, non-defined, that every single person in this country should be in uproar of that. That's Absolutely. just taken away any, any basis of the Nuremberg Code, which was set up for a very, very good reason. And I'm not saying that we're going there, but we have the, we have the ability to go there now. And that that is just wrong, you know. The fact that the the our our privacy, our medical treatment, and our medical history, the privacy of that has just will be obliterated from the government. Those two things, regardless of whether you think it's a good idea to you know for the government to be able to do research, whether the government you know to speed along drug um, creation, those two things along alone every single one of us should be in uproar about because it, it, those are taking away fundamental rights and fundamental um, you know, pieces of who we are and the freedom of the U.S. 
I mean, this is not a free country anymore if you take away those two things. Right. So if you're just tuning in with us, this is uh, Kimberly Martin, and I'm your host of Real People OC, and we are here at 88.9 FM in Irvine. And I'm having a discussion with Christina Hildebrand. She is the, uh, you're the founder of A Voice for Choice, correct? Yeah. And um, and she's telling us about the 21st Century Cures Act that just basically was voted in uh, yesterday and is probably pretty much, I guess it's a foregone conclusion that the president's going to sign it into law. Is that correct? I think so. We're still asking people to call the president's office. There, it was interesting. I spoke with a with whoever picked up the phone, whatever staffer <laughs> happened to get me on the phone, um, and they really don't know about it. So, you know, we are urging people to still call the president's office, um, email, contact them, and and really get in touch with them. But we do feel that it's it's a pretty much a foregone conclusion, especially because it has um, it it. it sort of extends Obamacare a bit more and we know with the president-elect coming in that that's not a a positive topic <laughs> and so we feel that the that the president's going to sort of leave his mark on this one president Obama is going to leave his mark on this one as well so we mm-hmm. do feel like it has but we do still urge everyone to call in to the president's office and email and contact them you can go to whitehouse.gov and there's a contact piece that gives it uh the contact form and also the telephone number that you can call and just ask for him to veto the the bill because you know as I said even just with those two with the informed consent in clinical trials or the lack thereof and also with your privacy um, being being removed there's you know the, there those two alone should be enough for everyone to to ask for him to veto this. Um, okay. I just wanted to share. Oh, I was going to give more. out the number really quickly. Oh, That's two zero two four five six. One 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 two zero two four five six one 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 one. That's to contact the White House and the President to let him yeah. know your thoughts. Okay, and go it's ahead. The Twenty First Century Cares Act. It's HR thirty four, and it is on his desk. I believe it's already. It, I believe it's been processed on his desk. If it's not, it'll be there tomorrow. Um, the um, the other. There are a few other issues there. One example is that the electric shock therapy um, is going to be fast tracked for what's called maladaptive behavior. And oh, geez, I love that's the, I like love the dark ages. <laughs> well, no, I, I, it is, but then I sit there and think, well, I don't conform to all the government rules and regulations, so does that mean I have maladaptive behavior? <laughs> like, what is maladaptive behavior, really? But realistically, it's for um, some signs of things like autism has, you know, some what's, what's defined as maladaptive behavior, and it's it's just concerning that that will become a general therapy. It's going to be fast-tracked, which means it's not going to be, and I know, you know, electric shock therapy has been around for years, but it's also been around for years and has been taken off the table as a treatment for, for you know, most, most people. There are a few places, one in Massachusetts, that still uses it, but there are very, very few places that use it still. So it's, Mostly because you know, it was considered to be barbaric. <laughs> Yeah, yes, yes. But so anyway, it has been fast tracked by this by this bill. Um, it also, you know, there's a, there's quite a bit on opioid addiction treatment, and I know that that is a huge issue in the U.S. Um, it's something that I completely, you know, I completely feel for these senators who have districts who are, you know, who are struggling hugely with opioid addiction. But it's looking for a cure for opioid addiction. To me, 
what we need to do with opioid addiction is look at the where it stems from. So why is there opioid addiction? Well, there's opioid addiction because of the plethora of pharmaceutical drugs that are being that are being prescribed in this country. So, you know, if you look at the at where it stems from, rather than just trying to deal with the symptoms and the the issues on the other end, there's no there's no money going to the the first you know the where it comes from and why and can we do something about that? There's a we've got opioid addiction and this is what we need to do about that opioid addiction to help the people that are addicted to opioids. Um, and again, you know, again, it just, it's, you're looking at the, to, to our organization, you're looking at the wrong part of the problem. You need to look at the problem of what's causing it. And, you know, one of our, one of our pieces on this as an organization is that the U S is heavily medicated. So the U S consumes, 75% of all pharmaceutical drugs of the world. So we as a country consume 75% of all pharmaceutical drugs that are created in the world. Just think about that. You know, you've got China, you've got India with many, many more people, but we consume 75% of those drugs that are created. Another statistic that I, that I like to throw out there is our 65 and older, our elderly population, they take an average of 13 prescription medications. Yeah, there are people that take less than that, therefore there are people that take a lot more than that. That's another, you know, 13 prescription drugs is a huge number of prescription drugs that our average elderly person is taking. And we're also one of the only, one of two countries, us and New Zealand, are the only country that, are the countries that advertise pharmaceutical drugs on TV. And so, you know, you hear the ads on TV and on radio. Do you have this symptom? Do you have this symptom? Do you have this symptom? And they're usually symptoms that, you know, do you have gas and bloating? Do you have stomach pains? Do you have, a, you know, twitchy eye? And you go to one, and if you have any one of these symptoms, it could be this thing. Go talk to your doctor. And if it is, then you can get prescription X, Y, and Z. And it, it you know, it, it makes people sit there and go, oh, yeah, I have gas and bloating sometimes. Well, yeah, gas and bloating is natural to every human being sometimes. <laughs> but, you know, you sit there and it's like, well, maybe I should go to my doctor. And, you know, many of us are not like that. But there is also a large portion of the population that, you know, we're, we're a fix-it pill population. We're, we're a population that something gets wrong with us, with us. We go to the doctor. They give us a pill, may or may not work, but they give us a pill and that's what we want, an immediate fix. Um, and so, you know, when you look at all of that, all of those pieces of the puzzle, it's, we have an issue. We have an issue with the amount of pharmaceutical intake here. And so we really, our organization, you know, this is going to pass, Cong uh, it's passed Congress and it's passed the Senate. It is most likely going to be signed by the president. And people say, well, what do we do now? You know, it's, it's gone through. There's these horrible things going on. And our advice is to really look at, you know, how do you, how do you look after your health? What is your health? What does your health mean to you? And do the pharmaceutical manufacturers really have your best interest at heart? Now, I'm not saying that when, you know, you have a broken arm that you don't go to the hospital. I mean, there's, place, there's a place for acute urgent care medicine there's a place for that and there you know there's even a place for it if you have some you know disease or other but the other piece of it is you know most 
countries don't have this reliance on pharmaceutical drugs. They're doing it some other way, and they're not any sicker than we are. We're actually a country that is more sick than than many other Western countries. And so, therefore, you know, the consumer and consumer dollars have a lot of say in our in our in the products that are out there. And so, really look at you know, is there an is there an alternative to going to that doctor for you know a a an issue that is not necessarily you know, a broken arm or something like that? Because there are many other you know, there's chiropractors, there's homeopaths, there's uh, naturopaths, there's acupuncturists, Chinese herbal medicine that have all been done for thousands of years, and you know are, are definitely alternatives. Um, nutrition is another big piece of our our culture that is that needs to be looked at seriously because you know we you can't be healthy on the amount of processed food that our country consumes no no and that's such a part of it but i'm i'm curious you know did we cover enough of the issues that this bill will reach into our homes and and um take from our freedoms or should we spend a little bit more time on this I think we, I mean, I think we have. I'd like to get to another bill that specifically relates to California that is just as concerning, if not more concerning, that is we it, may actually is, be able to do something about. Is it SB 277? Um, well, it, it, that one we want to talk to, that one we want to talk about as well. No, it's actually SB 18, which was introduced this last Monday okay. by Senator Pan, who is the author oh. of SB 277. Yes, the um, e- who. If, if, if for those listening that don't know what SB 277 is, it was the vaccine mandate law um, that went into effect this year, was passed in 2015, which took away the personal belief exemption and it, within that, the religious exemption to vaccinations for schools. So you no longer have the option to opt out of vaccinations for school unless you have a medical exemption or unless you're on an IEP and that's a gray area. There are some some people who, who uh, or some schools that will allow people in with an IEP and not that, not being fully vaccinated and others that don't. Um, but no, SB, SB 18 is another act that or bill similar to the 21st Century Cures Act that looks great on the surface and, and has a nice, you know, it's called the children's, it's, it's the, the short version is the Children's Bill of Rights, but it's rights for ch- the um, children and youth of California. And Basically, that sounds great. Sounds great that our children should should have everything that they deserve in California. So, education, um, healthcare, a socio-emotional good place in their life. All of these things. There are seven tenets to it. Um, I'm going to pull it up while I'm talking to you, so I can give you the seven the seven things that it that it um, so it's is S- looking at SB eighteen state. Um California State. Yes. Okay. California State, SB 18. And it... um, Because there's a lot that's coming up that's not related to children, as I pull it up myself. No, so you have to go into this year. So it was only put out on Monday. So if you go to... In California, if you go to what's called Ledge Info, but you can also find it on our um, advocacy page, which is the Voice for Choice Advocacy, all written out, .org. And if you go under under a Voice for Choice Advocacy, it's... is the first one that comes up there. Um, and basically, it it's a resolution that was passed in the Assembly in 2009, and, and a resolution basically just means that the Assembly thinks it's a good idea. It's not doesn't go into law, doesn't go into statute. It just is something that they say, yes, we agree upon. So the most 
you know, normal thing on a day in the assembly is a day commemorating something. So, you know, they've had state cowboy day and, um, <laughs> you know, pro, or, you know, vaccine week or, you know, those kind of, or green flowers week or whatever, you know, they, they pass these resolutions every, every time they're on the floor, they pass a resolution for some day or week. Um, but there are other resolutions that basically it just means that they agree with it and they think it's a good idea. So it was brought before the assembly um, in 2009. And to note, Senator Pam was in the assembly at that time. I haven't done the research to see whether he, who put forward the resolution. I'm not sure uh, on that. Um, but basically, it states that there are seven pieces that children, um, all children and youth, have or are entitled to in California. And that is the right to parents and guardians or caregivers who act in their best interest the right to form healthy attachments with adults responsible for their care and well-being, the right to live in a safe and healthy environment, the right to social and emotional well-being, the right to the opportunities to attain optimal cognitive, physical, and social development, the right to appropriate quality education and life skills leading to self-sufficiency in adulthood, and the right to appropriate quality health care. And all of that, you know, on the surface, sounds like, yeah, children should have a right to all of that that is that is wonderful but basically what it is what it will do if this passes and there's already a lot of uproar from different organizations um that that it gives children those rights and it basically takes away the parents right for those things if the state feels the child is not getting that adequately so if we look at it for example the first one the right to parents guardians or caregivers who act in their best interest in the child's best interest right in the child's best interest yes but what i feel is in my child's best interest may not be what you feel is in your child's best interest i personally don't like my kids watching a lot of tv being on their ipad doing all of those things you may feel that absolutely for my kid that works and i want that that's in my child's best interest the parent and federally there's and and we'll get into that when we talk about sb277 and the update there but federally the Supreme Court has upheld that the parent has the right to raise their child as they see fit, as they see best, and, and that the parent has the best interest of the child. Now, of course, there are times when children are abused in some way, physically, sexually, whatever way. But you do want somebody to step in. You want CPS or someone else to step in and help that child. But we already have laws in place that cover that you know, piece of it, that the if your child is being abused in any way, that CPS will step in and do something about it. So, you know, we have those laws already in place. But this basically says, if the state does not agree with what you say is in your child's best interest, if it goes against what the state will say, then they can they can decide that they are taking over your child's best interest and they will show you or they will tell you how that you're going to do it and you, you risk losing your child basically, is what it comes down to. So then you have, you know, you go to the second one, right to form healthy attachments with adults responsible for their care. You know, yes, what that is kind of saying in my mind is, you know, you don't want them to be sexually assaulted. You don't want them to be physically abused. You know, you want them to have a good relationship with an adult. But again, 
you know, that differs depending on each child and each parent. You know, the, you know, the relationship you have with your child is very different, even from child to child, but from parent to, you know, there are very different, and culture comes in there and, and other, other pieces to it. Um, the, the, the other one, I'm going to skip ahead to um, the third one, the right to live in a safe and healthy environment. That one, my guess, is going to have the gun rights people up in arms because what is a safe environment? Does a safe and, and this is Democrat based, so you know, does that mean that they can say, you know, there will be no guns in houses with kids? With kids, hmm. do you, you know you take away that right? Um, you know, all of this is again, it you know, on the surface, it sounds like a really yes, I want my child, and every child has the right to live in a self and healthy, a safe and healthier environment. Absolutely agree with that. Completely, one hundred percent agree with that statement. But then, but who what decides? I can, but right. But what I consider a healthy and safe environment is not necessarily what you consider a healthy and safe environment. I may not, and I don't have an. I don't have a side on guns. But but I may feel hypothetically. I may feel that it's fine for me to have a gun in my house. It's locked up. It's you know whatever whatever safety precautions I've taken. It's safe to have a gun in my house. You, and again, I have no idea what your perspective is on guns, you not, may not feel that way. You may feel there is no way I would ever have a gun in my house. There's no way I'm sending my, allowing my kids on a play date with somebody who has a gun in their house. There is no, so two completely different perspectives, both completely legal and, and, you know, able for each of us to have that opinion because we are parents and we feel that that's best for our children. The question is, what are they going to, how are they going to define that? Well, and um, what do you think spurred the desire for a law of this sweeping nature on? What, what was the reason for it? Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, I don't mind if you I, speculate, you know, some more sinister so reasoning. I'm just curious. I don't know that there's a sinister reason. The, the biggest issue I have with this law, or this, this, this bill, is the fact that Senator Pan is the author of it. Honestly. And Senator Penn was and, the architect of the vaccine uh, mandate. Yes. Yeah. And I just, I, I truly don't think he has the best interests of the people of California. Um, well, I his, think he likes getting mind. big paychecks from big yeah. pharmaceutical companies. But yep. I'm just curious if this is just um, a strategic step towards designing a future where somebody else defines how your home should run. I do think that, and I think it's a cover-up, and I think it's, it, you know, when you get to the last two where you've got health care, so the right to, and the specific word is appropriate quality health care. So my health care decisions are different from your health care decisions, are different from everyone's health care decisions of what I choose for my child, right? I have, I know my child, I know whether they have allergies, I know whether they do, you know, I know whether I want to vaccinate them or not. I, I have the best interest of my child at heart. I honestly, I cannot say that I feel the state has the best interest of my child at heart. They have their best interest, and their best interest is usually money-driven. Um, right. and, and, you know, I just, at, the, at this point, our legislature, both California, statewide, state, across the states, you know, individual states, as well as our federal government, is so bought and paid for by lobbying money, and by big, and that lobbying money comes from the big corporations. And, and to me... Anything like this just raises the flag of what corporation behind is behind it. One of the corporations that's behind this is called Common Sense Media, and they have a very, if you look them up, they look on the surface like some kind of media 
company, but realistically, they have a very um, defined healthcare and other. Um, they're, they're on various issues, and they're very much big government and very much, um, you know, wanting to sort of take over that control. And I think part of it is also a control piece of it. You know, the 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 fact that the government wants to have control of everything that we do and wants to have control of our homes. And, you know, to me, this bill, there is something in this bill for every single Californian to be against again. And I just, it, right now, the, 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 the purpose of this bill, there are three pieces of it. Um, it's to, to develop and put forth research-based policy solutions to each of those seven points, um, to determine the amount of revenue and resources needed to ensure that that happens, and then to identify and obtain the revenue and the resources necessary to make it happen. So basically, they're going to research each of these points, work out a state um, you know, policy on each of these seven points, and then work out where the funding comes from and, um, and how to fund it. And the, the piece that worries me there is this bill, by passing this bill, it doesn't mean that that policy is going to come back to the legislature and be approved, that that funding is going to come back to the legislature and be approved, that 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 the implementation of it is going to come back to the legislature and be approved. And when I say the legislature, I, I say it half tongue in cheek because you would hope that we constituents have a piece of that legislature, but after SB 277, I feel um, that we don't necessarily have a part of it. But this is basically, this law basically takes it, takes all of those pieces, the research, the funding, and the finding of the funding and the implementation, it approves that without even knowing what that is. So it approves once you once these whoever has worked out the policy that those policy because those people worked out the policy that it's approved and that we just need to find funding for it and then we just need to implement it and that's taken out of anything that we as constituents and we as people have input into. Now we could be on the committees that work this out, but. You know, it, it just, it, to me, it is a, it's a bill that, that there should be no one in California that is for this bill, even though it sounds great. Like, I absolutely want every child in this state to have all of those things. Don't get me wrong on that. But it is just huge governmental overreach. Well, so I'm curious if there's any partisan action on part of any of these that we've discussed. Help me understand where the role of the two political parties fit within both of these bills. So I, I actually cannot give you, yeah, I can't give you that information because the bill only came out on Monday. So we, we are in the very, very early stages of this. Um, a Voice for Choice Advocacy is taking each section of it and trying to sort of analyze which, um, what is, of in, you know, what basically, what does it mean? What does this cover? What does this section cover? Let's get all the pieces that it covers and then who are the organizations that are, that, that would be affected by that, and then we're going to do outreach on that. And I would say, you know, anybody who is interested in helping out, we, we are a majority volunteer-based organization. So if anybody has, you know, the urge to help out on this, um, if, you in, if you email info at avoiceforchoice.org or Christina, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A, at avoiceforchoice.org, um, we, would, we would happily have, you know, more people on this to, to help us work that out. And, and we are reaching out, we will be reaching out to organizations that fall into each of those seven sections to, to really get, get a much larger or a, a big outreach. Um, from a bipartisan, you know, my, my guess 
is that the the Republicans aren't for big government. So my guess is the Republicans, it will be bipartisan. The Republicans will be against this. But the hope is that, you know, the Democrats, and we are unfortunately having passed this election, 2000, uh, this 2016 November election, the Democrats now have a supermajority in, in both of our houses in California, which means that the Democrats basically can do anything that they want, um, So, which is concerning and worrying. But there, it is hopeful that, you know, at least, some of the Democrats will see that this is just too much of an overreach um, to to actually vote yes on it. Well, and and the very fact that it's hard to tell um, who's supporting this from a partisan standpoint just shows you how sinister it really is. Nobody well, can wrap think, their yeah, arms around it. An, yeah, and I think from an organization, you know, not from a legislative perspective, but from an organization perspective, it is very bipartisan. So, you know, there are there are people on both organizations that may straddle both sides of the, or maybe may be on either side of the of you know the Republican Democrat piece of it, but that will come together against this bill because it because it just it you know it it there are so many facets that it will that it will um, influence that that I I just can't see. As I said, I can't see a single person in California being for this bill because there is something in it that will take away a the parental right yeah. and a freedom for everyone. And that just, you know, it, it's, it's just too much for the government. Okay, so um, if you're just tuning in, this is Real People OC, and I'm your host, Kimberly Martin, and we get together each and every week on Thursdays from 4 to 5. I am happy to be in the studio today talking to Christina Hildebrand, and Christina is uh, the founder of a avoiceforchoice.org. I'm saying that slowly so you can look it up if you are interested, A Voice forchoice.org and then there's another website connected to this organization where you just add advocacy at the end so a voice for choice advocacy.org if you want to learn um, a little bit more what we're talking about is information being informed it is so interesting to me that something this far reaching within our lives can be passed without us knowing about it until it's a done deal and so I guess that was really what spurred me on today uh, to talk to Christina and have a conversation so I'm really thankful you're available I would be remiss if we did not spend some time talking about SB 277 it is such a huge impact on the lives of Californians and so let's spend some time talking about that sure and I appreciate that so um, SB2 I'll go over it again SB277 is the vaccine mandate law that was passed in 2015 it was implemented this year beginning of this school year and basically what it did was it took away the personal belief exemption for vaccines so prior to 2016 you could have a personal belief exemption you could sign it as a parent for your child to go to school without being fully vaccinated and just to note there was about 2.5 percent of California children that had a personal belief exemption the majority of those children were vaccinated to some extent so it wasn't that you if you were missing one vaccination you had to sign the personal belief exemption if you didn't want to get that vaccination so there were people you know hepatitis b crazily enough which is a sexually transmitted disease or what you get from needles um if you're a drug user um was one was one of the the vaccines on that list now there are some parents that didn't feel that was appropriate for their or necessary for their uh kindergarten kids to get and so they, they chose not to do that. Another one is chickenpox, which is not a deadly disease um, that many parents wanted their children to get chickenpox naturally so that they had the, the immunity their whole life. Um, there are other ones on the list, but there are 10, 10 vaccines on, or 10 diseases on the list that if you want to go to a 
public or private school in California that you have to be vaccinated for now. You can get a medical exemption. The medical exemption is pretty broad, um, although that doesn't mean you can get one easily. The, the medical exemption includes family history. So if your family has a history of autoimmune disorders or other, other uh, issues that may, or vaccine injury um, that may mean that you, you shouldn't or your child shouldn't be vaccinated, you can get a medical exemption. The piece there is that not many doctors will give medical exemptions because they are contracted under insurance. So Cigna, Anthem, um, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, all of those demand that you are in your practice in order for you to get fully compensated that you that you have have um, children that are 95% of children um, vaccinated and so they're they're pressured to give them so most of the doctors giving medical exemptions are doctors that don't take insurance and that really look at the child holistically and do for every single individual vaccine a risk to benefit ratio of the likelihood of you getting the disease or the child getting the disease and having an adverse reaction to that disease versus the likelihood of the child getting a vaccine, which once you've injected it is 100% and then having an adverse reaction to that vaccination. Um, and so those doctors will do that, you know, they, and then they will, will give a medical exemption if it's appropriate. Um, the, the one new thing on the SB277 front, and it's, it, uh, it's, is affects us at a voice for choice greatly is that we did actually a voice for choice and three other plaintiffs uh filed a lawsuit against sb277 there are a couple of others that are out there but they're um dwindling one of them's been dismissed the other one is still um moving forward but at a at a slower pace but it's very that one's a rico act or racketeering act so it's very different from the lawsuit that we have um the lawsuit that we filed we filed it uh the week before or the week of thanksgiving we filed our um brief today and it basically is is solely constitutionally based. And we were approached probably two months ago now by one of the top constitutional lawyers and scholars in California. And he came to us and he said, you know, you guys or somebody really needs to do a lawsuit based on the constitutional alone, not vaccine, whether vaccines are good or bad, not argue the safety and efficacy of vaccines because the judges and the people in California and not there yet. You definitely need to keep educating on that front and, and you know, really make people realize that they need to have a choice. They need to recognize that there are risks and, and, and that the vaccines aren't, don't have 100% efficacy, all of that information. You need to keep doing that. But in order to win a case, you need to do it based on the Constitution and what's already been upheld in the Constitution. Um, so we've, we have three tenets that we base our legal suit on one of them is the right to deny or accept any medical treatment and specifically for yourself and also for your child. So in the U.S. Supreme Court, that's been upheld a few times. The, the one example of that, there were parents of a child who was ill, terminally ill, and they chose the doctors were pushing some, some medical treatment on the, on the parents and on the child, and the parents did not want that did not want that for their child, had made the assessment, done the assessment, and chose not to have that medical treatment, that was upheld, that you you could accept or deny, you have the right to accept or deny any medical treatment. So that's basically bodily autonomy. You have the right to your body. Um, the other one that has also been upheld in the Supreme Court is the, um, the right to raise your child as you see fit. So it's not in our Constitution, but the Supreme Court came out with a statement that basically said 
it's not in our constitution because it is such a fundamental right. As a parent, you have a child and it is up to you to decide how to raise that child. So whether you homeschool, whether you send it to public school, private school, on a schooling perspective, their health care, their emotional care, all of that is up to a, up to the parent. Um, and then the last tenet that we have is the... Um, the California Constitution and the California Supreme Court on a number of occasions has upheld the fact that the California uh, Constitution includes a free and public education. And that means that in every district in California, there must be at least one school, K through 12, where any child of that age can go to school. And that has also been upheld in um, that one's the uh, California Supreme Court. And so basically there's also a, a law that says that if you create an, a law that goes against one, two, or three other laws, so especially when it's two or three or two or more other um, constitutional rights, that that law is unconstitutional, that you cannot put a law in place that goes, it's called enjoining, that enjoins different different other fundamental rights. Um, and so the the reason why we back this lawsuit and why we're we're excited by it is that it doesn't matter whether our judge is for or against vaccines our judge you know it, it that has no relevance in our argument our relevance is, our, our statement is this is unconstitutional based on those three things which have been upheld constitutionally over and over again it doesn't matter whether vaccines whether you believe in vaccines whether you believe in the greater good and public health or anything else those three pieces have been upheld and they're what drives constitutionality and in this case SP277 is not constitutional. It sure wouldn't seem so but yet here again it's something that everybody is struggling to live with right now that is mm-hmm. is you know it's yeah. whether like you said it's it's almost too much information to decide too much information too much misinformation really on both sides yeah. as to whether uh, people want to vaccinate you know a, a, on the schedule that is given to them I guess is really what it comes down to uh, right. for so many people that are not entirely opposed to vaccinations but yeah. um, but nonetheless you, you do start to look at the the broader <laughs> issues of the Constitution yeah. being barraged with all of these laws that just don't really make sense and it's it's right. just a really bizarre place to be right now it's really mm-hmm. awful and so many yeah. people are struggling with these decisions on their little kids and it's really really sad yeah, and I will say, you know, one of the things that our organization has done over the past year, um, you know, prior to December, we definitely had a big push for people to get their personal belief exemptions in because there was a lot of grandfathering that happened. So only kindergartners and seventh graders are, those are the two checkpoints for SB 277. And then since then, you know, we've had a lot of parents call up and say, you know, I went to my doctor and I tried to get a medical exemption because I do have a family history of X, Y, and Z but my doctor wouldn't give me a medical exemption. And so we've been doing a lot of um, second opinion help, <laughs> help with second opinions. Um, and most of the time, the doctors that haven't, as I said, haven't been giving the medical exemptions. It's because they're pressured in other ways, either by their practice, um, by if they're associated with a large hospital, UCSF, Stanford, in our area down by you, you've got Irvine, you know, all of those there. The, all of those, especially the university hospitals are funded by the pharmaceutical companies so they're not going to you know they're not going to be on board with medical exemptions and so the the um we've been helping people with 
getting a second opinion, as we as we call it, um, that where they can then referring them to a doctor that that will evaluate them fully and legally and in every other way do the right thing, but will oh, look at the child as a person and holistically rather than just a blanket statement of no, you're, you're we're going to vaccinate you. You know, we're we're not going to give you a medical exemption. So whether um, you if know anybody your body again, or you don't. <laughs> exactly. whether you know your own body, right? um, yes. And so, if anybody needs again, if anybody needs help with with that, um, they can email me um, a voice for uh, Christina at voiceforchoice.org or info at voiceforchoice.org. We do vet very very heavily on that because um, we don't want the trolls coming out and 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 um, uh, you know is doing things to our doctors. Um, we, there's definitely a witch hunt for doctors who are giving medical mm-hmm. exemptions, right? Um, which is an issue. And you know, our doctors are then doing nothing illegal. They're doing nothing wrong. They are evaluating each of these patients as a person. They are getting full medical histories. You know, they're they're doing everything right that they should. They just have a difference of opinion than other. They're not paid. They're not paid, and they're not bought for. So they really look at the health of the child and the health of the person rather than the than you know the bottom line. Right. So, and um, so my hours always go up when the school starts offering a pizza yeah. party for something to be done. And that seems to be right. the case with the most recent vaccinations yeah. is, yeah. oh, you'll get a pizza party for the class that wins. Yeah. And I'm like, or oh, my gosh, the, you're yeah, propagandizing one, my child. Yeah. And there was one somewhere I don't remember where in California that you couldn't get into the sixth grade school dance unless you had your your oh, um, that's cruel. Your TDAP. Um, exactly. Vaccination record. No mention of a medical exemption. No mention of an IEP. But that you had to show that, and we actually got that pulled down because it was just it was like you know you're you're basically discriminating here, and Absolutely. it was in sixth grade. I mean, you don't have to have it until no, not until if you seventh to grade. Vaccinate until the first day of seventh grade, and so they were doing it. I think it was in about April, and I was just like, that is just you know you can't. That's not like the push for that is just so wrong, and the schools should not be the ones that are making medical decisions for their students. Nope, it's it's a crazy town. Well, we have one more minute. Can you believe we've done this for an hour? (laughs) We've got one more minute, and I want to give you that minute to uh, say your final piece. So I would say, I mean, these three pieces of, you know, the the SP277 with the lawsuit, the 21st Century Cures Act, which is pretty much through, um, and then SB2, SB18, which we have a whole year in front of us, which, I, as I said to somebody yesterday, I guess I'm going up to Sacramento every Monday through Wednesday next year again. But I would say those three things, and, you know, we do a lot of education work, a lot of advocacy work at, at the Voice for Choice and the Voice for Choice Advocacy. Um, we do have a big fundraiser, and I'm going to plug myself, and I hope you don't mind that, but um, we do have a big fundraiser through the end of the year to sort of raise the funds for the lawsuit as well as for... Um, just our operations. We are we are completely grassroots based. We don't have any huge funders, um, and so we we are completely, you know, and basically dedicated to the population of California and and the U.S. on the bigger national bills. But we really are dedicated to California and health freedom and really allowing for informed consent and transparency. And so, if anybody does feel, you know, after you've heard me speak for the past hour, if you do feel that the need or the urge to donate to us, we we would very, very much appreciate it. Oh, Christina Hildebrand, thank you so much for taking the time today to talk about your work. And but more importantly, thank you for devoting your life to these important causes, just to inform people, everybody just to inform you so that you can help make better decisions for your lives and for your families. 
Yeah. So well, thank, thank you. you. Thank you for allowing me to share it because it's definitely definitely a passion. I don't make anything off of it. I have, a, <laughs> I have a real job on the side that pays all the bills. Yes, that, which is the crazy part of all of this, isn't it? Well, thank yeah. you so much. <laughs> you are so welcome. Thank you.